Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking with Stephanie Hamilton, a Dubai-based mom to three girls, including 16-year-old Ruby, who has Down syndrome and autism. Ruby has been the catalyst and inspiration behind Stephanie's quest for true inclusion in the UAE for the past decade. Stephanie was the parent voice and a catalyst for the launch of the KHDA inclusion policy and was named one of the country's top influencers in education. She has participated in many initiatives and panels on inclusion to provide solutions for people of determination. She is also the creator of a photography project called I Am Me, most extraordinary, which aims to educate, advocate, and mainstream beauty indifference, and the Mindful Pod, a support group for parents of determination. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Emery? I'm really good. I've been wanting to speak to you for a long time um, about your daughter, Ruby, about your family, about your experiences in the UAE, having a, um, uh, a child of determination in your family, what you've been through, um, what it's like for you, inclusion, all of the stuff. So um, I'm really excited to have you here. And I'm just going to sort of, for people... I think a lot of people know who you are in the UAE. It feels like you're, it feels like you're very well known to me. The squeaky wheel, right? right. <laughs> Love it. Um, so, so maybe just tell us about, you know, having Ruby and um, what it was like for you in the beginning and what, what it's like, what it's like. Just tell us all about how, how all this came to be. <laughs> just a short Okay. Okay, so um, I gave birth to Ruby in 2006 in Abu Dhabi um, here in the UAE and um, didn't know that she, there was a question around whether there was something, you know, let's say different um, with the pregnancy. Um, and But uh, up until the moment I gave birth, they had said, you know, I'd had a 3D scan. They said, you know, no Down syndrome, pretty much 90% no Down syndrome and, and all these other conditions that, you know, obviously um, we weren't looking for, you know, so, um, I ended up giving birth to her in Abu Dhabi and she, she, lo and behold, she did have down. So she does have down syndrome. Um, and that's obviously not for people that don't know. I think a lot of people do know, but it's an extra chromosome. So, um, I call it a little something extra special, <laughs> depending on the day that I had with her and the mood that I've had, it can be taken facetiously or a straight term anyway. Um, so, I, I gave birth to her there and, um, and then we, you know, we journeyed on from there. We moved to New Zealand when she was, uh, I guess it was three years old, had three years of, of life in New Zealand, which is very, very different. And, and let's say it's a lot more mature for inclusion because they've had more, more, more years to kind of develop it. And um, yeah, and then came back to Dubai and that's where things started to really shift and change. 
when I did return back to the UAE, um, you know, we had upwards of 40 rejections. I mean, I've told this story so many times, but I still think that it's important because it's like a, a turning point and a, and a catalyst point for a lot of people around that time that couldn't get into school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. That would have been 10, about 10 years ago? Yeah, so that was ten, literally like 10 years ago. And uh, to this, almost to the date, actually. And interestingly enough, it was April. It was 2012 of April. So literally 10 years ago right now. And um, so I was running around trying to, you know, get her into schools and I kept getting, you know, we don't have people like this. We don't have facilities, et cetera, et cetera. And having been in New Zealand and having started her mainstream education there was like, well, I don't understand. Like, you know, we, this is, no, is not an option really for me and uh, for us and for her. And and not to take away from people that do make the choice to go outside of mainstream. It is many different choices, right? But that was a choice we wanted to make. And um, yeah, so we just, we, you know, created social media campaigns and, and the rest. And the long, the short of the long story is that over, you know, that period of 10 years, um, finally in 2017, the, the KHDA inclusion framework was introduced of which, you know, I feel very proud to have been part of that. And have been the parent voice for that but um you know a lot of shifting and, and changing through those times for many people in the community that were you know wanting to be included and i think that um one thing i will say is that the uae in those years from 2000 kind of 17 till now has made quite a rapid you know quite a rapid change and and i feel like they've in many ways have caught up very quickly in terms of the legislation but where we lag behind is actually that message being implemented and, you know, catching up in all those schools and, and institutions that actually can now take that and oh, how do we implement this when we didn't have it before? Right. And as a parent, say coming here, you may choose a school and they may not be fully aware of the legislation. Is that what you're talking about? And you have to sort of educate or push. Is that what you mean? Um, they fully should, they know about it now because it's now a directive in 2020, it became a directive and, and the law was just recently re, um, you know, implemented again, law number three, uh, only a few months ago that really, um, is pushing behind, uh, people of determination to ensure that they have equal access to all opportunities, jobs, schooling, healthcare, um, even looking at like, are they getting information in the community, their banking, everything is being looked at and, um, you know, there's a committee that I don't know if it's already put together, or it's being uh, implemented, it's going to be called the higher committee of to protect the rights of people of determination. So that's kind of an initiative of that law. Um, but yeah, the, as you may know, like, if you don't need a law, then you don't really know much about it, right. So I think, it, like, I always use the analogy of divorce, if you don't need to get divorced, you probably don't know much about divorce law, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but if and if you don't have a child of determination, you probably don't know much about what the laws and what your rights are. So I think the schools definitely now they, they do know about inclusion. I think it's been made very clear through some of the governing bodies. But I think where it falls short is that it's like trying to catch up. You know, it's like a massive growth spurt. Imagine you had a massive growth spurt and your legs are trying to yeah. catch up and adapt. <laughs> yeah. So. That's the, where we are now. Okay. At the best of times yeah. when new legislation comes in, it takes a while for it to be implemented. But so when you were trying to get, you had all those rejections, how did you finally get Ruby into school? 
Um, I cried. <laughs> so I, I happened to, uh, I, I happened to find a principal who I literally did cry and I begged because I think I had two days left of cutoff. And I just said, and it wasn't the, really the right school for her in terms of, you know, where it was, it was quite far away. It wasn't really the right school for, it didn't have what she needed, but I just wanted her amongst other kids. She was in year one. I mean, that's, you just need to be with other children at that stage. No one's looking at academics and we're looking at socialization. And um, no, I just begged and he took a chance on it. And she was in that school for a few years. And then I had to use my other kids and move them around from school to school until I found <laughs> the perfect scenario of where, you know, I had two kids in one school finally. And then I said, look, I've got two kids here. What are you going to do? Are you going to reject her sister from coming? Um, so I had to play a bit of a game to be fair back then. That's what you had to do. So, um, and, and, and she's in the same school that she's been in since that point. So, yeah, that's, I mean, I've, I've written stories about this for years because we did a big, when I was at the national, we did a big series on accessibility. And this is where I found out that this, all this was happening and all these parents, same story for everyone and Emiratis as well, because, um, the Emirati woman who ran the Abu Dhabi Down Syndrome Association had the same story. Ten, she had to beg someone to let her son in, and um, so it's nice to hear that that isn't a problem anymore. But what what issues do you face now that we might not know about? You know, when now that she's in school, like is the schooling satisfactory to you? Is there enough support? I would probably go back to what you just said in that, you know, that's not a problem anymore. I would say that it's not fully the case that okay. not all, I would say that there still are people who are in school and maybe they're, or they're trying to get into school and maybe I'm going to be really honest about it. I mean, it shouldn't be that way. It should be that, but sometimes schools can be very, I don't know, they can use whatever answer. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. They're supposed to fill up. For instance, if I go to apply to a school and they tell me, no, my child can't go there. If I don't know about the form that the school has to fill out, they have to fill out a form now and really explain why the kid cannot go into school. If you don't know about that, um, if you don't know about that form, which is part of you know the policy, part of the directive, then how are you going to you know, know to ask for it, right? Right. So I think it's all about education. And I think people, if they are trying to get their kids into school, I would highly suggest to them to go and see a special educator, somebody that does know about that, that's external to the school to help them. Mm -hmm. um, I use Sunshine Learning Difficulty Center. They were phenomenal. And they taught me a lot about what the rights were. Um, there's other, you know, that, that I think people just have to um, take the time to educate themselves on what their rights are as well. And I think that's, that's where the gap can be sometimes too. And, and we're tired, especially parents, we're tired. Like, yeah. so I think a lot of parents just think, well, I just, you know, can't be bothered. There are many, many, many more kids now, like so many more kids of determination in school, which is amazing. So there has been huge progress, but there still are some who kind of slip between. Um, the cost is also huge for many parents. So right. um, that's also a limiting factor. So they have a way of but, saying no without, with, like they, they can still say no. And if you don't know how to go about it, they have ways of saying no without saying no, right? Like they can reject you without. Yeah. yeah they can get, get they around. May, 
they may say there's not support or you need to get the LSA or we can't, we don't have the right, you know, and yeah. I, I don't have any recent examples, but I'm um, going back to the question you actually asked about what are the, what are the challenges now? We're, you know, we're faced at the age of 16, it becomes, if you're in the British curriculum, I don't know about the American, but if you're in the British curriculum, it comes to a, a pivotal point where, you know, not all of our kids can access GCSEs and A-levels, which is, you know, the program as you go into the, those years. But however, there are other programs like Ruby's doing a program called ASDAN, which is life skill based. Um, she's also working on her math and English at the, like, you know, the, the entry level, um, the basic qualifications that you would get in the UK before GCSEs. And I don't know how long that will take her, it may take a few years, but we have, you know, a situation where a lot of schools are now kind of saying that they're not equipped to handle kids after the age of 16 and sort of maybe suggesting that it would be better for them to go to a center, to a vocational center. Um, but my, my argument is that, you know, as per the law, the, the, you know, children must be able to access education on all levels. That's what it says. Um, now, I had a friend that said, well, are you going to push her through you know, just for the sake of pushing her through to make a point. And I said, no, because I believe that it can be adapted. Like her schooling's being adapted now. So why can it not continue to be adapted? So yes, it causes an inconvenience to the school, but that's, you know, it was also an inconvenience to have a debt of almost half a million Durham's at one point for us to pay for the additional costs. So, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and I'm, yeah, it's, you know, that was, a few years ago and it's like you know we're, while we've made a bit of progress on that and we're not paying for the additional support now I think at the same time you know we did go through that and we have to work together as a team so yeah it's yeah we want to make sure that the education that she's getting is we don't want her just sitting you know you don't at the end of the day you want your child to gain skills that they'll use after they graduate um just like anyone else and but at the same time, that may be the right environment for her because some of the centers, while they're amazing, they may not have that sort of age group of 16. A lot of them have the adults in their, their centers, like My Maximus is one, Mawaheb's another one. Um, there's an um, amazing organization now, a new one called Touch, which is a talent agency that is hmm. seeking to bring mentors in. And, and I think that's phenomenal as well. And but it's looking at this middle age gap of kind of 16 to 18, where we just seem to, you know, it's like maybe to school cater for them. If it doesn't, then where do they go after that? You know? Mm -hmm. And also where other kids are having extracurriculars, what's the extracurricular situation? Like, is there anything? Well, this is where the extracurricular is coming in. Like touch Ruby's been doing CrossFit for free. She's like, they, it's all volunteer. It's amazing through touch um, Dubai. And they, they do through um, CrossFit Alioth is a CrossFit box here that offers the kids, you know, free coaching. They do a once a week class. We just went to, um, had an amazing iftar with them that was all sponsored and put on for the, the families, um, which is amazing. And we're very grateful for those things. I think there's more things like that that are being offered. Um, and then of course, paid activities. What we experienced years ago was that even if I wanted to pay that people wouldn't accept Ruby, but that has also come a long way. She does gymnastics, um, which we pay for. And, you know, and that's, 
you know, and the, she just happens to have a coach that's very passionate about working with people determination. Mm-hmm. So I think that is changing, but I think there's still a way to go with it, you know? Yeah. Where, I mean, New Zealand obviously would be further ahead, but where would you say, you know, post special Olympics, post legislation, where would you say the UAE is in its comfort level? Um, I think that there's a lot of, I think from the outside looking in, I mean, it looks very, you know, everything's to be fair. We're very, very grateful. There's a lot of things that have been implemented like the POD card, which gives you access to a lot of, you know, centers and things like amusement parks where, you know, one person comes in for free. Um, that, that sort of thing is, is, you know, that's available. Um, I think that there's a, it's like anything, like everything is there. It's like the framework is all there, but it's whether or not it's being implemented in the, in the, like on a micro level. So the macro level it's, it's there, but on the micro level, our companies hiring people of determination are, you know, are they being given those opportunities and also who's, who's helping those companies because they need support. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you can't just expect, I could, I would never just throw Ruby into a job and not expect those people to know how to deal with her emotional behaviors with, you know, all of these things. So I think that's a huge thing. And that's a huge, um, thing to consider as well, but I feel like the UAE is definitely in heart and in their, um, intent it's there. They want to be inclusive. Um, things are being put forward. The laws are there, but it's just getting those individual people to understand about inclusion and educating everyone, each, each and every one of us on inclusion, like knowing what that means. What does it mean? What does it look like? You know, inclusion doesn't mean there's a thing about something about it. It's a saying it goes, um, something about diversity is asking you to come to the party, but inclusion is asking you to dance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you can invite people as tokenism and have them standing around, but are you actually, are you actually integrating together? Mm-hmm. And the country has just been revising the labor legislation. So now there's like part-time work and, you know, so there's much less work available, I think probably here than anywhere else as a whole other factor, right? Like there just, there just isn't that infrastructure that there would be back in Canada. You know, you see lots of people working at Starbucks and what hap- like happily having jobs and doing all sorts of doing so all sorts of cool things, but um, that doesn't exist here. Right. Yet. Just even. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, you're right. It doesn't exist. Like it's not as, it's not as prevalent as it is in other places, you know? Yeah. Um, I just went to Ireland last week and, um, and we went to a pub and the manager had down syndrome and it was great. <laughs> they were like, you know, listen to Niall, he's the manager. And it's like, amazing. it was a family run business. It was a family run business, but it was still amazing that, you know, and he, Niall was like, you know, taking nothing, no prisoners for anyone. He was just amazing. doing his thing. And, <laughs> and he was like, follow the rules, do this, do that, wait for your drink, you know? Great. <laughs> so oh, that's great. So I remember coming across you, we did, uh, I was interviewing a whole bunch of women as part of the um, Special Olympics. We, that was a really cool day because it was a shoot for Harper's Bazaar Arabia. And um, that feature won, like uh, their feature of the year, by the way, award. I know, I don't know. If really? That. Yeah. In the, in the, in the company, but I was talking to you that day and you said that you had always felt that 
there was something else going on with Ruby. And then you had just had an autism diagnosis on top of the down syndrome. So how did that change things for you having that diagnosis and for her? Um, that was a massive, I think that was one of the most difficult pivot points in our, it was both challenging, but at the same time, almost a relief or rewarding. Um, so I had been, I'd, I'd noticed her behavior was different when she was about five. And I remember going to a doctor in New Zealand and he basically just said to me, it's just, you know, cause I'd read an article that you can have, you know, down syndrome and autism. And, and I thought, Oh God, do I need another label? But it was like, no, I need to help this child. And he said, no, it's behavioral. She'll, she'll grow out of it. So for years we went through, you know, the behavioral stuff. And I think you, you, you come to realize what things are like when you can see your child alongside other children who are the same age. And I know we shouldn't compare, but as she was, you know, practicing on the gymnastics team with four other girls with down syndrome, you know, I could, it was just this complete opposite behavior. She was laying on the ground. They were standing up already in line. Um, and it was just, and, you know, a few of the parents had said to me, you know, you need to discipline her more. And, you know, and I thought, I, and I really like beat myself up and I thought, no, I, I am disciplining her and I'm really doing my best. I really am. And so that actually pushed me to a breaking point where I had a meltdown and I realized I reached out to kids first, um, to actually the owner, Nanette, who's phenomenal. And I, I literally broke down on the phone to her and I said, I don't know what to do. Can you please get, tell me what I need to do? Because I really feel like there's something here. So she said, you're not going to do anything other than you're going to come in and you're going to come in straight away. <laughs> and they were phenomenal with helping, uh, you know, to get Ruby that diagnosis. Um, however, once Ruby got the diagnosis, I did feel relief because I thought, okay, I can start to make sense of these behaviors and I can learn about autism now and what, what, you know, those traits that are affecting her. Um, However, a lot of people didn't believe it. They still didn't believe it. Even, you know, yeah, people still did not believe it. Even the school I had to convince, you know, to say the psychologist is telling them and they still, you know, and, and no, it, it was no, um, I don't say that with any malice because I think for everyone, it's a lot to get your head around, you know, when you're trying to explain that there's another, <laughs> another, you know, it's quite two big, quite diagnoses, you know, put together, compounded into one. And it is actually more common than what people think, but it goes undiagnosed a lot. And I can see why, you know? Um, yeah, so, but in any case, she, yeah, we had the diagnosis and it was wonderful in the sense that then we, I felt like we started to be able to help her more and focus more on what her needs were. Okay, okay. A little bit more refined, you know? How is she, how is she doing now? Um, at the moment, we're facing a lot of challenges. Um, I mean, I really, and I think this is something I, I would like to add in, and, and it's really important to me at this moment, because it's affecting me at this moment, and, and a lot of other parents, is the, the idea of mental health. Um, the, you know, teenage years, as any parent that has teenagers will know it's very difficult, very trying time because of hormones, etc. And then you add in special needs aspect or, you know, a, a, you know, traits of determination, if you want to call them that. And on top of the, the teenager, determined, determined teenager. And uh, yeah, it can be very, very uh, trying and very, very isolating and very, uh, can be very lonely time. So in many ways, I feel, I do feel isolated in some ways because those other kids that maybe she grew up with are now, you know, they can be left on their own. They can go off to the mall, you know, all these things. And it, 
yeah, and friendship wise, it's difficult. It, it can be difficult. Um, teenage, you know, they're teenagers. They don't want me hanging out with them, you know, with Ruby, like, you know, tr- you know, kind of coming along. So you find yourself with your child a lot. Um, and it can be exhausting depending on their needs. Um, and I had, a, I had a breakdown this week and I, I told you earlier that if I could have checked into somewhere <laughs> on Friday night, I would have. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to highlight that and, you know, to say that it, it's not, there's so much joy that comes with parenting. Um, but I think a lot of us don't ask for help and we don't admit when we're actually broken. And I would use that word broken because sometimes it feels like you are just beaten to down to, you know, you, you just, it doesn't, I think the, the main thing I would say is there's not always a solution available for everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, people say there's a solution for everything, but I racked my brain on Friday night and said, what is my solution right now with this kid? It's multi-layered. It's so multi-layered that, you know, it takes time to find the solution. And when you get to the end of your rope, you're only human, you're alone, your husband's gone. Like, how did you, how do you get through that night when you're, when you're like, I can't. Well, I, I cried <laughs> a lot. And um, which I felt good because I felt, you know what, better out than in. And I think and I also expressed to several people, look, I'm really having a a tough time. And um, but at the end of the day, you know, I was saying, you know, if I were to ask a friend to come over, what if they came over like for the night to stay overnight with me, what would they have actually done? Would that have helped? Maybe it would have helped for a few hours. But I think at the end of the day, we we do actually have to get through these challenges. And at the end of the day, we have to go through them, right? Somebody can be there to support you. And that's lovely. But at the end of the day, we actually have to get through them. And um, yeah, what I actually did was I locked myself and Ruby, I got her to sleep with me. Um, I was having anxiety about not having anyone else in the house, because Lily was my other daughter was away, my older daughter was away, my husband was away. And it was Ruby and I, and I felt really, I actually felt anxiety and a little bit of fear because I felt like, you know, she can do things sometimes like lock herself in a room or she can break something or, and I all of a sudden felt really overwhelmed. Like, you know, if she's in another room or what if I don't hear her? Um, so I actually locked her in the bedroom with me and I kept the key in my hand. Cause I thought if, if she gets up in the middle of the night and unlock, she might lock me in, <laughs> which she's done before. <laughs> right. 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 So, actually that's how I got through and I just I slept with her and uh and that was the way that I coped and I you know I also posted about it on Instagram I don't normally do a lot of video posting but I was like do you know what I really need to put this out there mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like it's really important that we have to normalize struggle because mm-hmm. people see from the outside and they're like you're so strong you do this but they don't see those times where you're like I don't know how I'm gonna get through to the morning and no one, but you knows how many of those moments there have been since the Ruby was born. Right. Yeah. And I think that whole thing, when you say, I, I, that's what I said in my post, I'm like, everyone always says to me, you're so strong. You're so strong. And I'm like, you know, it's like if you're in the gym and you're lifting a certain weight and you can be strong, but then another weight gets put on and another weight gets put on. And eventually you need someone to spot you. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would say. And that's, I think, where I was at. It was like, I'm strong, but I need, I need, I just need something. Yeah. You've been good on social media. Like, uh, you, you have a way 
here in the UAE where we have to be careful on social media, uh, you during the early stages of the pandemic posted about Ruby not being able to go out and ride her bike. And then you had the Dubai police contact you and make special rules, right? Basically. (laughs) Well, um, again, that was Ruby. I put that all down to Ruby. She was very clearly let me know. She was really frustrated. Uh, yeah, I did do a post and I, I had a few people say to me, I'm really, they said, oh, I don't know if you should put that up post on there because you put in all caps, attention Dubai government. And I said, well, I want to get their attention. I said, because I want to get their attention. <laughs> I want to get their attention. What else am I supposed to do? Right. And I said, there's nothing wrong with that, right? I haven't no. said anything negative. No. Um, yeah, and I had to be very careful how I worded the post. And I feel like when you speak from your heart, and you connect to other people's hearts, then you never have a problem. I always feel you. I don't, I don't, I feel like if you can do that, then you're never going to have a problem. That's my, that's my like constant thing I go back to is like, well, you can have problems, but I'm saying if you have a genuine concern that can be fixed, there can be a solution. Then if you speak from your heart, let's say you have a better chance at getting a solution. That's what I feel like. You yeah. can still be, you can still get into trouble or be canceled or whatever, but I think generally you have a, yeah, you have a better shot. So what happened when they got, what happened when they got in touch with you? Who got in touch with you? So how that happened was I did a post on British, I think it was British moms or one of those Facebook groups. And you know, those are very powerful because if the moms all connect to this idea of the same thing, it's like, we're behind you a million percent. Women are great for that. So it started that way. And then I did it on Instagram. And actually, it was an Emirati filmmaker. Um, her name's, I think it's Amala. Gr- I don't know if I'm saying her name right. Amala Gruby. And she saw my post. She messaged me. And she said, this is, wow, I can't believe, like, these kids need to get out. Yeah. And so she tagged um, a load. Of, she did a, a story in Arabic and told my story in Arabic on her stories. She then, I then started to get all these people like it writing in Arabic under my Instagram post and then tagging Dubai police. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't think anything of it, to be honest with you, until I actually got, and then I, I got a call and I got this, is this Steph Nectar? And I thought, well, that's my Instagram <laughs> account. And I thought it was, you know, some kind of dodgy thing. So, um, and then I said, yes. And then he said, well, it's Dubai police. And I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, maybe that maybe that post, I got to reread the post. What did I say? Anyway, the good news is that, you know, they basically said, this is, you know, we, you can get a special permit. You just need to really make sure that you write clearly what the issues are and that the child is, you know, in distress to make sure you get the permit. And he actually said to me, if you get rejected, apply again. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. So I then wrote another post to let all the other parents know. And that was amazing because so many, I mean, I'm one of, one of the people in the community sent me a video of her son in the car and he was jumping up and down and he was so happy to go for a drive, you know? Amazing. Yeah. So, but yeah, that, that's how the positivity of social media can be right. Yeah. At times. There was a first time summit here in Abu Dhabi recently. It focused a lot on um, determination and uh, Timothy Shriver spoke, who's the head of the Special Olympics. And he talked about how he had such great language for about how devastating the pandemic has been for people and kids. And I, I asked you about it and you said, well, it's been good and bad. So can you just sort of tell us what happened in your house with 
we know Ruby got out to ride her bike and get outside, but what, how about the rest of us? <laughs> well, the good, the, the, the negative impacts were the, the idea that you were, you know, all of us were not getting a break as parents. I think the impact was more on the parents, also the kids as well. But I think the, the positive impacts for us was that I actually got to really see what she was doing in school. And I got to see whether that was appropriate for her. Also, you know, see why she was getting frustrated when it came to certain tasks or subjects. And, and actually, um, her speech improved because we focused a lot on, we were doing a lot of Zoom, right? A lot of, well, everything was based on Zoom. So she would have to go to her teacher and do a lot of her work verbally. So that, I feel like that really, really helped her communication process. And you know, we focused solely a lot of the curriculum that she was doing. I actually literally took almost the whole program and threw it out the window. Mm. Um, and we focused on life skills. So we did things like, how can we bring English and math into the day? Well, I had to order Kibsons. So I was like, okay, you're going to help me order Kibsons. You're going to go down the list, read what's in there. You're going to tick it off the box. You're going to call and ask if the order's ready. You know, you're going to do the email. You're going to go online and you know, and I think it took like three hours to do a Kibson's order. But at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, it was like we, we were getting some life skills and of emailing Zoom, like things that she's going to have to use in real life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are your hopes? So that was, a bo- that was a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, how was it difficult? Like how, what, what else was hard that we I mean, just being at home and not being able to go anywhere. The main thing was just not having any respite because, you know, we were having to still do our jobs. We were still having to um, look after our families. I think it's the same for everyone. But I think the difference with the person of determination is that idea of structure. Um, You know, structure is very important to Ruby going to school, coming home from school. So now it was like, well, what does that look like now? And um, and when there's no structure, there's more behavioral stuff that comes up. So. And there was no rest for, you know, for the, for us in between it was, and also that you're dealing with, you know, my husband's on a conference call, you know, all those things. And you're trying to keep, you know, she likes to stem like, so she, which means she, you know, will be quite vocal, quite loud. Okay. So I think those were the, the most challenging things, just trying to, trying to find out what this, you know, routine or structure looked like. Okay. And, and what are your, what are your dreams for Ruby? Like, what would you like to see her do? What does she want to do? When she grows up, um, <laughs> I'm, I can't speak for her and what she wants to do, but I can look at it. I know what her gifts are. She's very much a connector with people. Um, she's very warm, very loving, very caring. And when she is given structure, um, you know, she's very good with that. But um, my hopes and dreams for her is that she will work. Um, she will get a job. She will get a job in something that she's passionate and has a gift and she can continue to, you know, develop that that she's happy in that job um, and that she, you know, I, I've, I would love to see an assisted living um, community of some sort being implemented um, so that, you know, that, 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 you know, people like Ruby can live and work, um, you know, with a bit of support. Um, yeah. I, I don't see her living with me, you know, for the rest of her life. I think she would want to be independent um, but I, I, I am also looking at her right now and saying that's a long way off from where she is now. So assuming that there would need to be some kind of support. Okay. And yeah. what's your, 
what are your words when I'm sure you speak to new parents who are finding themselves in this situation and Timothy Shriver spoke at that conference about, you know, there, there was a video at that conference about um, uh, an extracurricular program that Special Olympics is doing. And the mom saying, the parents were saying like, I, you know, a day when a parent has the news delivered to them, like not in a way that's like, this is a devastating thing that's happened to you. This is, this is a good thing. This will be, you know, like just having that whole narrative flipped. And I wondered sort of, what do you say to new parents now if you come across them about this? Um, I think what I would say, it's, it's harder for me now as, as Ruby gets older and it's more challenging at this stage to be um, inspirational. Right. And like you at don't the have same to be. time, honest. Yeah. No, inspirational and honest, you know, inspirational meaning, you know, to make them feel like to have hope, you know. Um, but I, I'm very honest with them. And what I say is Ruby has opened up so many She's put so much growth and joy and so many paths in our lives that we never would have probably pursued if we didn't have her. Um, so it's, and I also say in many ways, it's no different from your other kids in that they're all different. They all have hopes. They all have challenges. They all have gifts. So I always focus on that same thing that we all have gifts. We all have challenges. It's always been my thing. And it's like, that is one thing that all humans have in common. Right. And I think, like, yeah, I think to, on, on the other side, though, I will say that, yes, there will be times that you will, your challenges will make you doubt the gifts, but always remember and come back to the gift. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what I have to constantly remind myself. Like last week, this weekend, I was like, you know, this is, it's really tough, but, you know, but then I think of all the people I've met through Ruby and all the just personal growth that I've had. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that that's, I have to give a lot of credit to that. So, okay. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to say that I haven't asked you? I'm sure you have a few. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just hope, and I wish that each person, if I could give a message to, if people are listening to this, you know, individually, that each individual will always be open and in some ways have no expectations. Like when they meet a person of determination, it's almost like, like anything you do that's new, be open and, and have no expectations and just don't put any limitations. Don't put any expectations. Just allow that person to unfold in front of you just as you would anyone else. You know, Yes. I think we, if we all apply that to each other, you know, we look at external and we like to go, well, that person must be like this, or that person must be like that, but it's just, be open, expect nothing, and just be curious. And yeah, ask people questions. Mm, I love and that. And if they're not verbal, and if they're not verbal, then just be with them, you know, just be with them and just find a way to connect. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You're welcome. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.